in comparison to what actually made the final cut of the game on the left. And uh, yeah, it kind of looks similar. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, guys? Today's guest is the fight coordinator of Lucifer Season 3 and 4, currently streaming on Netflix. Please welcome to the Jamcast, Mr. Vlad Rimberg. Oh, yeah. What's up, dog? Thank you, Travis, for having me. Oh, man, thank you for coming. This is a pretty full circle for me. I'm sure, like, some of our friends know, but not everyone out there. Um, I've known you for, what, maybe 17, 18 years? Yeah, since 2001, Granada Hills High School. No way. Wow. So we just totally dated ourselves for everyone out there. <laughs> but uh, it's really cool, man. What, what, is, what is really cool about that that makes it even more full circle than just knowing you is that dating all the way back to those years, you were always the only guy that had a camera. You were like the guy amongst all of our friends that were filming and actually out there trying to do fight scenes. And uh, we even did a fight scene ourselves at one point. Yes, we did. I was actually expecting you to pop uh, pop it up at any minute yeah. to show how good it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. if I if I, I actually need to like get a copy of that from you at some point, man. Do you still have copies of all the old stuff? I'm working on retrieving it. Okay. Yeah, yeah I think I may have it on an old hard drive, but I got to find it. But uh, long story short, all the way back to high school, we used to just get together. Um, I had a martial arts school at the time that my parents owned, and we would go in there in off hours, usually like post ten o'clock at night. Yep. And we would just do like jackass type stuff mixed with martial arts, try to jump over the highest thing, do the highest jump kick. We'd have boxing matches where you dislocate your shoulder. Yes, I did twice <laughs> Yes, within 30 minutes. Yeah. And I remember all of us panicking like, shit, what do we do, man? Yeah. Like, we I'm like, Travis, call your dad. He's like, I'm not going to call him. No way. <laughs> not calling my dad no. for that. Oh, man. But it's, uh, it's really cool to see that after all these years, uh, yeah, you finally have reached, I guess the goal that you had all this time, which is uh, working in actual film and television these days. Of course, yes. Yeah, man. And so really quickly, Paul, uh, this is quick for me to reference something right away, but pull up the first article right there. And this is something I wanted to show, which you may not know, but did you know that Lucifer is currently the number one most uh, watched slash demanded things on Netflix? Hell yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, man. I just saw this article come out on Business Insider that listed the top 10, and number one is Lucifer currently. So uh, how did you get brought on to that show, and how long did you work on it? Um, a close friend of ours brought me on. I'm going to keep the name hidden. <laughs> but uh, that person gave me a call and said, hey, uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Merit Yanka. Expect a call from him anywhere in like you know two weeks. You'll work as a fight coordinator for a couple of weeks. So about three to four weeks later, I get the call and um, asked to go to a meeting over at Warner Brothers, and it's one of the concept meetings for an episode uh, where Lucifer takes on the Korean gang. Ah, uh, cool. Okay. So I'm sitting down, and everyone's going around introducing themselves, and I'm like, "Hi, I'm Vlad Rimberg. I'm a fight coordinator, and it's my first day here. You know, half halfway through the season. Totally." Um, but from there on out, after everybody saw the previews, is just you know we kept going, kept going, and kept going, and now. Man, what what a coincidence too that the first scene is against a Korean gang. Just because I know that your style is so highly influenced by Korean action. Yes, and I was uh, considered an honorary Korean member. Man, back in our high school days. Totally. Yeah, it was a it was a lot of fun. Um, I called up anyone that I knew for the longest time. I called up Sam Locke. I called up uh, Alan Joe. Yeah. But everybody was busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was good, though, because you got to use some of the newer kids I saw in some yes. of the other episodes. Yes. Uh, Michael Lair came on board, Alfred Singh. Awesome. Um, everyone kicked ass, and we just had a lot of fun. We got to do a lot of gags, and uh, working Lucifer allowed me to work with a lot of new talent 
that I had never worked with before, like uh, Bruce Concepcion. Yeah, yeah, totally. Who, who's been working with 87. Yeah. I didn't know he was an amazing acrobat. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Surprising what you see when you test guys out there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I have a question for you. How long was uh, each season? How many episodes? And was there action on every episode? Um, I think Lucifer started out as a 10 or maybe 12 episode series and it eventually started uh, growing. Uh, when I started season three, I started in episode nine. That season had 22 episodes plus an additional two episodes. Wow. Bonus so ones. yeah, so cool. you're talking about like 24 episodes. And then when they got canceled and Netflix picked up, uh, we had 10 episodes. Okay. Lucifer isn't known as an action show. Uh, there was action on it, but I think ever since I came aboard, um, that slowly began to change. Yeah. yeah like definitely. in season four, we had a huge finale, like a three, four minute finale. That's super cool. Super um, cool to see that influence. So uh, for everyone out there that may be kind of wondering like what your job title uh, entails, so what, what are you doing as a fight coordinator on Lucifer? So, so for the, the average person out there that's listening, what does that job title entail? Uh, pretty much what I do is I design the action based off of the script and any kind of director notes, writer notes, producer notes, uh, which means that uh, we either design the action on set or over at Warner Brothers. So I'll get a bunch of people together, uh, doubles and or performers, actors that'll be part of the scene. We shoot a previs. I piece that together. And then in one or two days, I present it to everyone and get feedback. So I'm pretty much dictating the story and the pace of the action. Yeah. Um, back in the day, I was very controlling when it came to choreography. It was only my ideas, my ideas. And as you grow, you go ahead and you want to... Um, you, you you want to expand kind of your team or the group of people you work with. Yeah, yeah. And the best way to do that is by giving them a voice as well. So when I work with people, I make sure that uh, everyone can voice their opinions. And I just pretty much dictate where I want certain action pieces to go. Yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. agree with that. I used to be pretty stubborn earlier on in my career too. And then one thing I also realized is like sometimes you're so stubborn and sometimes those things end up getting cut anyways. So it's like you put up a fight for no reason. Um, so with, with Lucifer, uh, for example, for everyone out there that may not be, uh, totally understanding of what previs is, uh, can you break down and explain like what exactly a previs is for the layman? So a previs is essentially a blueprint. Um, like architects will have blueprints of their designs of houses and malls and whatever it is that they want to design. We do the same thing. Uh, we will shoot and edit an action scene with cuts, with sound effects and, or any visual effects that are needed and present that as the idea for the action sequence. Uh, most of the time that's done in the gym. I know we've used jam a significant yes. amount. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so what we essentially become during this previs is we become the set decorators, we become the art department, we become VFX, we become everything. Yeah. So all the departments um, are on top of their game and know exactly what's going on where we're going to need a breakaway chair or a bottle or where there's a cut and where clothes are going to get ripped or if we need any bruises or anything like that. So we go step by step from beginning to end of the scene on the script. And uh, we, des we design the action very specifically and very detailed. Yeah, totally. So that way everyone's lives are a lot easier on the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see some previses out there and I see people going 70%. 
you know, and my big thing is you don't go 70% on anything. You don't go 70% on the car hit. You don't go 70% when you're acting and you're supposed to cry. You just don't go 70%. Yeah, yeah. So why would you go 70% when you do a fight scene? Yeah, totally. You know, pad up, and uh, that's why we get paid pretty well. And during the previs, we lay all the mats out. Um, I know when we did the ballerina proof of concept, many of the comments were like, I see a mat, I see a mat. Well, you do because yeah. it's a proof of concept. Totally. And uh, we're just making sure that everybody is safe because on the day, all that padding isn't there. Yeah, yeah. And for people out there, um, maybe let's let's bring up an example. Pull up like some of the, the Batman ones on the, the very end here, Paul. But yeah, for those of you out there, like when we do a previs, it's not like a full production day, even though we may be on a studio or a stage. But uh, it's a little more low key. We don't have hair and makeup. We're not like doing full wardrobe. We may wear clothes that resemble the character so that it's easily discernible on screen. Uh, but then again, it's just like a bare bones crew. And it's just usually the fight coordinator that's shooting it, right? For the most part, yes. Yeah. Um, sometimes, depending on how big the production is, usually on movies, you'll get away with two or three people working the previs. Totally. So one person will start shooting while the other person will be editing, and then uh, maybe they switch and someone else is doing VFX, or you just have two, gam- two guys roll cameras at once. Yeah, totally. That's, that's something Manny and I have been doing for Larnell for quite some time. Yeah, totally. Well, let's take a look at one of these Batman ones here. And for those of you that are just listening on the audio, go ahead and uh, try to check this out later on uh, Vlad's Instagram, which is uh, Vlad Rimberg. Um, but basically, what you're seeing is a previous year for Batman the Telltale series, uh, which is a video game that he designed fights for. And it's a cool side-by-side comparison because you really get to see what he designed on the right side in comparison to what actually made the final cut of the game on the left. And, uh, yeah, it kind of looks similar. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. A good amount of it. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the coolest things that a lot of people uh, don't get to always see. And it's not to take away from the directors of films and TV shows that we work on, but uh, it's just to show that the the involvement that stunt coordinators and fight coordinators have is uh, we have a really big say when it comes to these little action scenes. Of course. A lot yeah. of times these directors will, uh, if they don't copy it, frame by frame they may just take little elements of it uh or steal an angle that we suggest and stuff yep. like that um i think what's cool about these previses though that i like is that it shows off a lot of different styles of fighting and different camera tricks you're doing you're doing like the slow motion ramping in some of these mm-hmm. but what's most impressive to me is that this is all happening in the tiniest little dance studio room at jam right now yes <laughs> <laughs> which which I think is almost more impressive than than some of the fighting to me is making this look like this is in a giant room. Um, because, Paul, try to pull up, like, the last one, like one of the B-Boys or something. I want people oh, to yeah, see, like, yeah. this is how small this room is, guys. Like, this room is what maybe I think it, we measured at, like, 30 by 20. So we're talking a 600-square-foot room, which have mirrors on one side, which Vlad loves. I love those mirrors. Uh, I've asked Travis several times to put up some kind of a drape. And he's like, hey, listen, you, you can do that on your own time. You know, I, I just, I'm just, just a fan of the cardboard boxes. I feel like it just is so representative of stunts and it builds character for the younger guys to build them and break them down. Oh, of course. We, we love doing that. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on getting a drape in there for Vlad. The, the next full game you bring in there, we, we got you. That's a promise you heard awesome. here. <laughs> yeah. But going back to you talking about using that small space, um, I come from the indie world. Yes. I picked up a camera uh, for my martial arts tournaments, and then I started using it for my own hobbies, which was shooting and filming fights, which evolved from doing jackass and martial arts nonsense. <laughs> exactly. And all those years of practice helped me. Um, set up this career path 
um, because of the experience I've had with being able to shoot on the spot and think of choreography and just camera movement on the spot. I feel like that's allowed me to be ahead of most people in the camera operating directing game. Yeah, yeah. So working on the previous like this and especially partnering up with Manny, who's been working alongside me for the last five years now, it's just like, cool, this is our space. What do we need? We need to build an environment. So let's use this big red block as a table and let's set up a couple of boxes as chairs. And it's like within within a minute, we already know where everything goes Yeah. because of all that practice mm-hmm. and all that experience. It's not something that someone can just show up and be like, yes, this, 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 this. Yes, exactly. So make sure that you practice and practice and practice <laughs> and practice, you know? Yeah, real quick shout out to Emmanuel Manzanares, who uh, Vlad's referencing there. But uh, yeah, that was like, honestly, uh, a seamless segue, Vlad. You should be a host because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about was how you transitioned from the indie fight world to doing it professionally. So how long have you officially been doing indie fights for? Hmm. My first short, short film was in 2002. Okay. And that was with my buddy Gerard Villaverde. Wow. We shot that in the park somewhere in Porter Ranch. Okay. um, With very, very minimal action and very comedy-based action because at that time, I had just gotten access to a lot of uh, Hong Kong movies and DVDs. And uh, an aspect of Hong Kong filmmaking is action comedy. Yes. Which Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan do so well. So we try to implement that. But I didn't really start doing martial arts-based short films until 2003. Okay. And I would have to drive to San Diego or San Bernardino or San Francisco just to have someone shoot something with me. Yeah. Because in this industry, when someone tells you that they're too busy, it just means like, no. (laughs) And that's cool because now if I reach out to just about anyone, I'm very fortunate for to i'm very fortunate to be in a position where just about anyone's gonna say yes i'd love to shoot something with you yeah yeah but what what people need to realize and the reason why they are willing to shoot with you now is because of the exposure that exists you have an account with videos with millions of views on youtube whereas back in the day youtube didn't even exist when you were shooting Exactly. so like what was the platform that you guys were shooting for like were you just posting them for fun where where were you posting them online for people out there that weren't around back then well everything began with zero gravity Uh, They had their own website, and they put up their first fight title pending. And I think that's what initially initially started the whole independent filmmaking um, wave. Everyone thought to themselves, if these guys can do it, we can do it. Yes. So you had Zero Gravity, and then... uh, Excuse me. And guys, please look up Zero Gravity for those of you out there that are up-and-coming stunt guys. If this is a career you're serious about, you'll recognize a bunch of names from Zero Gravity. Sam Locke, Latif... You got Tony Chu, who was one of the co-founders. And Tony Chu would just hit the ground without any pads. Because back in the day, we didn't know what pads were. Mm -hmm. Uh, We made contact, not to the face, because we stacked. But blocks and all that other good stuff, I mean, that was real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we didn't complain or anything. We just, we took it, and then we compared bruises at the end of the night. Yeah, it's so crazy. So, so what was the what were you guys shooting for then to, to post it on their website or what was Well, everyone like Zero Gravity and some people had their own website and I um found this one gentleman through someone named Sean Charney. Yes. Who started to host my videos online. And I'm like, cool, because at that time, once again, there was no YouTube, there was no form of social media, there were no streaming services. It's like Correct. how do I find these videos and how do I download them? And the only option was to download and save them as a file. Yeah. And back then, the format, I think, was 360p. The highest uh, was 480. 
So everyone was shooting on high tapes. Yeah. Now, for all you kids out there that don't know what tapes are, um, <laughs> nowadays you have a chip that goes into your camera. You take out the chip and you just stick it right into your computer and voila. Seamless. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we had a tape which looked like a rectangle, smaller than the VCR tape. And we stuck that into the camera. We recorded footage. And then we would plug the camera into the computer and go through the footage and choose spots that we would want to go ahead and start yeah. importing into the software. Um, that was a lot of fun. It was a pain in the ass back in the days. But you know what's weird? Back then, we would shoot a fight for six, seven, eight hours, come back, have everything edited by that night. <laughs> Nowadays, I do a full eight hours. I come back. I'm like, I don't want to look at this for another yeah. like two, three, four, five days. Totally, totally. Um, so, but we were doing it for fun. We were doing it because uh, we loved Hong Kong cinema. We lo we loved action movies, and we wanted to be our own action stars. So cool. And that's I think that's the easiest way to go ahead and tell people that you exist is by creating content yourself. And um, the community gathered on forums. Zero Gravity had a forum. Stunt yep. people had a forum, and that's where everyone started communicating with one another. Uh, the young masters came about from Germany. They started posting on there. Um, Andy Long, who was part of Jackie Chan's stunt team, who's cool. a stunt coordinator in Europe. You know, everyone just kind of found this place, and uh, we continued to make. And it was great. It was good, healthy competition. And I, I encourage good, healthy competition. And what does that mean? That means, like, you know, when Brian Sawyer releases a short film, <laughs> I'm all like, hmm, I need to go and shoot something. Yes. You know, it's not like, oh, I want to prevent this person from making money and from feeding his family. That's bad competition. Yeah. That's unhealthy competition. Totally. We, we, we should all do good work to inspire one another. And so that way we're always trying to compete secretly. Yes, 100%. Man. Um, so, yeah, we, we were just shooting stuff. And uh, when the DVX came out, that was the next big thing. Uh, DVX was a camcorder. It wasn't a camera, a DSLR. Uh, it still took tapes, but it shot in 480p, and a lot of people started getting nice lenses for it. Yep. They were shooting feature films. It was like the greatest thing ever. Totally, yeah, yeah. And uh, when DSLRs came out, I got my first DVX. No way. <laughs> so so, so I've, I've always been super behind. behind. Yeah, yeah. Like right now, everyone's shooting 4K and I'm still going 1080. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, it's, it's going to uh, YouTube or Instagram yeah, or Facebook. Yeah. I'm not trying to pitch anything to Netflix just yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. And so how long do you think that you shot stuff independently for? There was quite some time, right, before you got officially, I'd say, within the Screen Actors Guild, for lack of a better timeline, you know? Well, I, I joined SAG in 2015. Wow. I quit my job at Apple September 18, 2014. Wow. And then I went to India. No way. Yeah. So so a long journey, though, committing Definitely. to just shooting independent stuff. Yes. That's super And cool. it's just a matter of believing in yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you know, coming from a European background, Soviet Union background, you know, you're expected to, like, be a doctor or a lawyer and do this and do that. And uh, if you tell someone that you want to do something creatively, everyone gives you a look. They judge you. They, you know, they question you. Yeah. So... You could say that there was a lot against me, but I just believed in my work. I've always been a believer in my in my work, and uh, I put in 11 years. Yeah. You know, some people are like, come to L.A., and it's like, oh, I didn't make it in a year. I'm going to go. How about 11 years? <laughs> How about 11 years, you know? 
uh, of going all over the place. I think I put like two hundred to four hundred thousand miles on all the cars I've driven. Yeah, combined just, total. Just shooting. Yeah, that is super cool, mm. man. But my first job was actually in two thousand thirteen. Um, I did a series for you yes. and uh, Sam Parham, The Hunt. And at the end of the year, Larnell hit me up, and I got a weekly on the movie uh, called Max Steel. No way. Yeah, so oh, okay. that was my first job in 2013. First official one. Yeah. And what was your uh, role in that? Was it as a fight coordinator as well? I was just shooting, shooting editing previs, okay. um, and I was just helping uh, design the action. I was voicing my opinions and things like that. Okay. Nowadays, what ends up happening is I think um, – even though we have a title like a fight coordinator, fight choreographer, there's always a fight team. Yes. You know, like uh, Damon Caro has a fight team and um, 8711 is a fight team. So. I feel you. Yeah. In a lot of regards. I want to ask you a couple things and I don't want to bounce around. So really quickly right now, I guess, for someone that's out there right now that's trying to get into shooting their own fights, what advice would you give them in order to start? Would your advice be to get out there and shoot their own stuff or would it be to replicate existing stuff first? What do you think is the uh, the best route to go? Just so everybody knows, I started shooting my own stuff in 2001. So if you want to add an additional two years of your life... <laughs> By creating your own choreography, you can. Yeah. Uh, what I highly recommend, and this is something that uh, 8711 did, was grab a fight scene, a Hong Kong-style fight scene, and replicate it. What does that mean? That means you shoot it angle for angle, uh, you edit it shot for shot, cut for cut, and you perform it the way the performers are performing it with the same energy and intensity. You do that, you take a look at it. When you realize that it's the way it is, you do it again. Uh, do it two to three times until it gets really, really good. Yeah. If you want to speed up uh, the process of being able to work in this industry, that's what I highly recommend doing. Okay. Um, there are a lot of people that want to go ahead and start choreographing on their own, but they have no understanding of choreography. Yes. Now, it would be very different if I went ahead and had a conversation with them and asked them, name me 10 Sammo Hong movies from the 70s, from the 80s. And they'd be like, ah. Yeah, well, yeah. then obviously you have no knowledge of choreography. Same thing with dance. You know, you, you in order to go ahead and start choreographing dance, you need to know how to dance. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to have a reference. Exactly. Yeah. So use a scene that's already been done to your advantage. Cool. You got YouTube. You got all this stuff. You can shoot a fight scene on your phone. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Just get out there and start doing it. The sooner you start doing it, the sooner you'll start working. Yeah, 100%. Is there any common mistakes that you see out there that would help people right away or anything that, that you think would save people a lot of time? When you watch your own work, you have to be your own worst critic. Cool. Like you have to be able to analyze the performance and everything. You can't say to yourself, oh, we shot something. It's great. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. If you think that way, you'll never grow. You need to be able to break down your own work to be able to grow. And in order to break down work, you have to do the work. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So go out there and do the work. And the, the biggest mistake I see is I think people get too hot-headed with the work that they've produced, and they show it off. And it's like, well, it's, it's, what are you comparing it to? Because if you're comparing it to other people that shoot indie stuff, I shoot indie stuff. Yeah. yeah. Brian Slaughter shoots indie stuff. Manny shoots indie stuff. Yeah. You know, the guys in Atlanta are shooting indie stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Felix and Ruben, yeah, yeah. their stuff is getting really, really it's good. getting really good. Because they've been practicing. Yeah. So 
just keep doing it and analyze it. If you want to, send it to me. I'll give you my opinion when I can. I'm overdue on a couple of the choreography <laughs> bits from the last workshop. Um, but yeah, that's what I highly recommend doing. Replicate other people's work. And you kind of touched on it, but as far as equipment's going, uh, what, do, what do people need or what can they start with? I feel like that's something that people kind of view as like a, something in their way of why they can't get started. But uh, right, right now you're doing a podcast using uh, iPhone 10s, exactly, right? Exactly, Because I saw one of the other podcasts yeah. uh, where you were talking to Mr. Anthony Alba. Yeah, totally. And he was saying, hey, I use a GoPro and he's got over a million subscribers. Yeah. There is no excuse to not be able to do anything. See, back in the day, we had no smartphones. That's something that came out in 2007. Yeah, for real. Right? We yeah. had to go and buy a camcorder. That was at least $600. Yeah. And when you're 18, 19, go find 600 bucks. And you had to have a computer fast enough to edit. Exactly. Yeah. Now you can get all the software on your phone. It's just a matter of beginning somewhere. And you kind of t- touched up on it. You know, it's like, do I, do I need this kind of equipment or that kind of equipment? Another mistake I see is people buy all these toys, but they don't know how to tell a story. Yes. Like, I want to take out my DVX and shoot something in 480 and be like, here. Just to Every, prove a point. Just to prove a point. Just to be like, it doesn't matter what you shoot on. Yes, the more expensive the equipment, the nicer it'll look. But if you can't tell a story, if you don't know how to operate that stuff, what's the point? Yeah. People will go ahead and start bringing their gimbals on the first day of a shoot. And they're spending four, five, six, seven hours just trying to figure out how to use a gimbal. That's all stuff you need to do on your own. Yeah. Which is kind of what we were doing in the beginning. Uh, we combined martial arts with jackass. Yes. We called it key up. Yes, we did. Which was a lot of just drop kicking each other in the back as hard as we could. We had what, six of those? How many volumes did we do? I think we had six and then there yeah. was a movie. Oh, man. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. We got to find this. We need this footage. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was my way of experimenting with camera angles and yep. movement. Just shooting real-life documentary jackass nonsense. Yes, 100%. No, that's really cool. Um, So of all the indie fights that you've done, is there one that stands out there as your favorite project? It's it's, Yes, of course. Oh, I had to ask you. There's one that – it's Mickey versus Amy. Oh, okay. Yes, it's the first Mickey versus Amy fight that we did. Can you pull that one up, Paul, or try Uh, try to reference that somewhere? Yeah, check his channel. Yeah. So Mickey versus Amy. Wow. Yeah. I would. I did. I, I didn't know which one it was going to be. So I had no. Now the the reason I say that is because well, um, at the time I was a hardcore World of Warcraft player. Okay. Um, I spent like five and a half, six years playing a World of Warcraft. Wow. But my gameplay time was two and a half years. Imagine two and a half years of your life spent playing a video game. So number one, I know all about wasting time. <laughs> That's why I don't want other people wasting totally. my time. Yeah, yeah. I will waste my own time. So the reason I stopped playing World of Warcraft is because my debit card was expiring. And when I got a new one, I never put the information in. So you couldn't get on. Exactly. No so way. once I stopped playing World of Warcraft, I had this idea to shoot a fight between Mickey and Amy. And what's that one called? Uh, it's you... part one, chapter C. Okay. okay. Uh, I've also re-uploaded it to a 1080 okay. format. It's part one, chapter C. All part right. one, chapter C, yeah. Uh, it was a three-day shoot over the course of a month and a half, I'd say. Okay. One time we came out when it was drizzling in L.A. and it was raining over in the Santa Monica Mountains. And it's my favorite fight because it was the first time I got to really showcase two women fighting. Yeah. Um, in our industry, I would say up until the time I released this, I had never really seen two women go at it 
you know, yeah, I, full I, power head to head. Now, yes, there is Hong Kong cinema. You got Cynthia Rothrock. Um, you have Michelle Yao. But when you're watching 80s Hong Kong cinema and you're watching uh, the female performers fight, there's a little bit of a softness to it. Yeah. On my shoots, I'm like, you need to put on pads, put on pads. We're going 100%, yeah, no yeah. 70% nonsense. Totally. So when this was released, uh, the story I was told was that Mickey and Amy received a phone call that day uh, asking them to work on the project, but neither of them were SAG yet. Okay. Uh, I got a phone call from Larnell, uh, you know, letting me know that I did a great job, this and that, and he'll be contacting me eventually. And sure enough, you know, after X amount of time, he helped me launch my career, and he's helped me out since then. But this is my favorite just because it's opened the doors um, for the three of us. Totally. And I started using this as a way to empower myself, knowing that I can do this. I can replicate this now because I've studied the work. Yeah. And uh, I can get more people work. Yeah, yeah, totally. And what year is this, Paul? Let's scroll down. 2012. Wow, 2012. 2012. Oh, yeah. So this is the 480 version That's with crazy. like 300,000 views, and I uploaded the 1080 version. Yeah. It's got a little over 100. And to me, it's insane just to see both of these girls who uh, this was at the start of their careers where they were available to shoot stuff like this. And yes. now they work so much. Yeah. Man, you'd be lucky to get them for three days in a month to shoot, uh-huh. right? Wow, that's cool. So I'm glad glad that I asked you that. Now, besides this, I'd say uh, I think your most viewed one is Us, right? Yes, it is. No way. Okay. Yeah. And how many views is this one at right now? This one's at, wow, almost 4 million. Almost 4 million. Almost 4 million, man. And this one came out in 2014. And uh, what inspired this one? Um, Micah and Nate reached out to me. They said they wanted to shoot a fight. And for some reason, I was just thinking, okay, you guys are Sharky boys. Yes. Uh, Shout out to Sensei Sharky. Oh, yeah. school over in Illinois. Thank you for bringing up good martial artists. Yes. Um, And I wanted to go ahead and do something more karate-based. And I thought to myself, well, where can we shoot? We can go shoot in the Santa Monica Mountains. Okay. And this uh, ended up being a three- or four-day shoot. Four-day shoot. Okay. Uh, 96 plus degrees every single day. Yeah. 45 minute hike one way. No, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Lots of fake blood. Yeah. Um, Luckily, w- not a lot of gear though, right? Not too much gear. But uh, at that time, Aaron, Aaron Tony hooked me up with his uh, Panasonic HFX. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which is a 720 version of the DVX. He's like, you got to stop shooting on your camera. Totally. Like you need to upgrade. Yeah. Um, so there was a whole case for that. That was like a good 20, 25 Ooh. pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, my little blue mat that I've had since 1994. Yep. Yeah. And uh, Micah and Nate and I got together at Jam. I still have the footage on my old iPod Nano. No way. Where we were just going over choreography and okay. ideas. And we just kept evolving and evolving and evolving. And during the montage, I was like, all right, you guys have any ideas? Yeah. <laughs> Like, let's go ahead and start doing some stuff. Super cool. And you kind of touched on it right now, and I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, so to speak, but what is your approach to choreography, and how do you come up with the moves once you're, like, given a scene, so to speak? That's a great question, Travis. Uh, 
I'm just, I'm just trying to. Yeah, should, you know, should, should, yeah, should I should, should I give you the rated G version or can I give you the you PG give, 13? You can give away the version that you want the world to know. I guess okay. you know. So um, if, and if there's a secret, keep it a secret. You know. But, I mean, here's the thing: it's no secret that uh, I engage in uh, 420 related activities. <laughs> I do a significant amount of uh, smoking, uh, and it's perfectly legal in California. Yeah. And the reason I started doing this is because I've had 25 shoulder dislocations. Um. So when we're talking about creating something on my own, yeah, a good amount of time, I would just go ahead and start creating. And it came from all the practice that I did working in San Diego and in San Bernardino and shooting with the stunt people in San Francisco, just on the spot sort of stuff. But uh, when I engage in my activities, I close myself off in a very small room or in the car and I just blast music. Okay, okay. And I just completely zone out and relax. Ah. And I start thinking of things. Um, but e- e- even if I'm not in an intoxicated state, what I try to do is I just think, I try to think of uh, special moves, you okay. can say, and where those special moves belong in the choreography. Yes. I don't start choreographing from the beginning to end. Sometimes it'll be the middle, sometimes it'll be the end. Yes. Um, I love to start working on the end. If, for example, I'm working on a feature film, I'd like to start working on the end. That way I've given my characters all of their moves and all of their abilities, and I just pull from there. Mm-hmm. Now, the only problem with that is making sure that all the other fights aren't better than the finale. Yeah, yeah. You know? That makes sense. Um, so you could say that's, that's a certain way that I approach choreography. I released a short last year called Model A with uh, Mickey Facinello and Amy Studevant, and... Um, I was in the car, and the track came on by The Encounter. Okay. It was called Throat. And all of a sudden, I just had these visions. Wow. It just like came to me, you know, wow. And uh, one of the first visions I had was that uh, flying headbutt that Mickey does to Amy. Yes. And I was just like, how am I going to pull this off? How am I going to pull this off? Because nowadays, I'm less about like, I want to control every single move. And more about like, I want to do something creative and different. I want to give people a huge payoff. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like three headbutts and then boom, flying in. Totally. Something special. So I try not to force myself, just like writers shouldn't try to force themselves to write. You know, just do it and then see if ideas will come about. Yeah. I always feel like the right timing will happen at the right time. So I'm just open to anything and everything at all times. And if there's something, for example, if I'm working on Lucifer and there's something specific that a director wants, then cool, I have some kind of a base. Yeah, They'll course. tell me I want this, or I want to use this platform, or I want to do use this particular spot in the location. Then it's like, cool, you're giving me more than enough. So that way, I don't need to start from scratch. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I think it's really cool what you touched on, and it's something that we have like harped on and kind of heralded on the show a lot, which is that it's not about all the moves and the choreography. It's like we asked the average person repeat 10 moves of choreo they can't it's all about just like you said the special moves or the moments and i think it's really key um and and this is something that i've talked to other guys about in the industry which is especially if you're getting the chance to do these indie films on your own and you're getting the chance to create stuff on your own accord you should really think about these moments because Mm -hmm. you're not dictated by a script or you're not dictated by a director or a producer. A lot of the times when you and I are on actual film sets, we're dictated by so many things up this bureaucratic ladder, you know, Mm -hmm. where from the top down, we're told what we can and cannot do. So if you're going to take the time to ask friends to spend hours shooting with you, 
make the most of it and like really think of moments that are going to leave a lasting impact and also make it worth it for your performers and yourself and, and give give footage for everybody. Of course, at the end of the day, if you're doing an indie shoot, what you need to walk away with is footage. Yes. And even if you come on my shoot for, you know, one or two seconds of screen time, I'm super sorry, Andy and Brian Lee. I'm <laughs> sorry I've been doing that to you guys. I promise I'll make it up. Um, that's why they've been shooting their own stuff. That's why they've been shooting their own stuff. Yeah, good on them. Uh, that's why I make sure that they walk away with something that they could put in their reel. Like I did this project uh, for Tony Chu called Tony's Wrath. Yes. And I hit up 55 people. And day number one, I think throughout the entire day, about 25 to 30 people showed up. Wow. So it was a lot of uh, managing. And people had very small parts. Like Marissa got thrown into Roostick as he was running in. Yeah. But we practiced all that at Jam, and it was a cool gag. And it's yeah, like, yeah. here, this is great for your reel. Yeah, just you one know, second. People just need to understand that uh, when they start shooting stuff, it's cool to want to be a hero. But when you're actually working, you are no hero. <laughs> you are not the actor. You are not the star. You are there to do your job, and you are there to make those other people look good. Yes. You know? Yeah, a lot of people don't realize the stunts is a very uh, humbling job, and it's meant to be that way. Like, you're supposed to just show up. You're almost like a faceless name. You do your job, and you go home. Yeah. Yeah, so. Even in the work I do now, you know, cool, I got uh, DGA. But I'm telling everyone, like, if you just need someone to come and shoot previous, I have no problem doing that. Yes. There's no ego in my head. It's like work is work. Feeding the family is feeding the family. You know, and uh, I know where my place is. Everyone should know where their place is. Just because you shoot and edit stuff or you know how to doesn't mean you should run up to the producer and tell him, hey, I can do this job too. (laughs) You know, respect your boss. Respect your elders. Yeah. You know, keep your mouth shut and just do your job. Yeah. Like that. Uh, And then go and shoot stuff on your own. Let yeah, people yeah. know you exist. I told Kyle Potter, just keep doing what you're doing, and Same. you'll start getting those phone calls to do all the previs. Yep. And that's not a bad way to get your foot into the door because now you're working in the creative field and you're working with the stunt coordinator, with the fight coordinator. If there's a, if there's a second unit director, you're working with them, and you have an understanding of how everyone thinks. Yep. And what you're essentially learning is how to present and pitch something which is super important in this industry. Yeah, yeah. And one of the coolest things is that you're getting a stunt contract without hitting the ground. So <laughs> so, 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 before we continue, like I, I'm certain there are people watching this and they're like, Vlad, I don't recall seeing you on the screen. That's correct. But if you go back to 2003, yeah, I've been... Well, yeah, pull up like his old stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been performing in front of the camera the for a little while. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, oh, I knew yeah, yeah. it. And I, I mean, 2008. Back, I can attest to it. I, I fought you in a fight way yeah. back in the days. This yeah. is dating back 16 years ago. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, obviously, you've just found uh, a part in the industry that you're thriving at. Yeah. And it would be stupid not to pursue that. Exactly. You know? and, I, and I think the reason um, I'm able to grow is because I stepped away from being in front of the camera. Yes. I used to love to be in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. And I'd have whoever I, shoot I friends. And everyone then, and, wants and, to yeah. be a star, yeah. yeah. And then I realized that uh, I have more fun making other people look good. That's what I want to do. If you look good, I look good. If I look good, my boss looks good. If my boss looks good, we all come back and we work again, totally. you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, working with people in this industry, you have to know how to make everybody look good. That's why I emphasize the importance of a previs and presenting a 100% previs, not a stunt viz, not a you know reference. If you can, 
pre-visit so that way everybody gets excited. Yeah. Now, everyone's different. Directors are different. Productions are different. Some people care. Some people are like, I don't even want to see it. Don't tell me how to direct my yeah, stuff. Yeah, some directors take offense to it too yeah. much. Yeah. But uh, just keep doing what you're doing and be really good at it. And because I had all those years of holding a camera since, you know, 2001, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say I got pretty good at it. And I'm very happy with the way... Things have been moving for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you kind of briefly touched on it, but uh, one of the coolest things is that you have made probably the next biggest leap in this line, which is you went from fight coordinating and shooting previses to you just got, uh, you just became a member of the DGA. And for those out there, that is the Directors Guild of America, which is uh, separate from the Screen Actors Guild. It is strictly for uh, you to be able to second unit direct is what you did, right? Yeah. On Lucifer, the season finale, I had two days of second unit directing. I had uh, two days of prep. Um, of course, it was much more work than that. Yeah. But uh, t- to make sure that I was able to get what I wanted to get, um, you always have to work with your producers. Yeah, and really quick, just break down what second unit directing is for those people out there that are listening. So main unit usually goes ahead and shoots all the acting, all the dialogue, all the story moments. And uh, sometimes what will happen is they need to go to a different location or they need to move on with other actors. Yeah. So all the action bits need to be picked up. So that's what we do as second unit directors. We pick up all the action bits. Uh, it could be car chases. It could be other hardcore stunts. It could be fight scenes. Yeah. Um, it could be little inserts where you don't have your lead actor. So you're using exactly. like a double to grab stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah. I was very fortunate to be able to not just second unit direct the actors but also, I mean, not just second unit direct them in the fight scene, but also a little bit of acting. And wow. that was really nerve-wracking. That is crazy. I was really scared, but everyone was on top of their game, even yeah. at like, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Totally. Hell yeah, Tom Ellis, Leslie Ambrand, and D.B. Woodside. You guys kicked ass. That um, is a, it's such a cool thing. And, and for those of you that aren't a part of our industry, you probably don't realize uh, what a cool accomplishment it is to make that transition into DGA. Um, so... In addition to, obviously, Lucifer wanting you to do it, what is required to become part of the DGA? Did you have to go through a process or like... Well, j- just so everyone knows, um, in the very beginning, I I thought about... Uh, I just tossed it out into the universe. I said, it'd be great if uh, Lucifer was able to get me my DGA. Yes. So when we started up season four, everyone was really excited that I was back on the show. Because I was supposed to be working in China, yeah, which I fell remember. through three days before my flight. I remember. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, China. Um, so everyone was excited. And then we were working and we were doing a lot of cool and creative things. Some of them didn't make the final cut, but I'm very happy with the way the show turned out. And at one point, I just went up to the UPM Joan and I asked her, is it possible for me to get my DJ with you guys? I've been here for two years. I feel like uh, the work I have given you really comes from my heart and my soul. Can you help me out? Yeah. So I, th- about three weeks later, she got back to me. Um, and she says, uh, we're going to try to make it happen. Wow. Then for the season finale, we were sitting down at the concept meeting and the producer, Hilton Smith, looks at me. He's like, we'll make sure you get a couple of uh, second unit days. And I'm just like, wow. It's happening. It's yeah. happening. But for that to happen... Number one, fight coordinators don't second unit direct in our industry. Nope. There is a hierarchy. It's usually stunt performer, then fight choreographer, fight coordinator, stunt coordinator, and then stunt coordinators are the ones that get to second unit direct. Correct. So production had to make sure that uh, the stunt coordinator, Merit Yanka, 
was okay with it. Thank you, Merritt. Yes. And that the director, Eagle Eagleson, was okay with it. Like everyone has to be okay with you doing the job yeah. because they don't want you to screw up their work. Yeah, because what you're directing is going to be a part of the finished product of the film, exactly. of the show. Yeah. Fortunately for me, this was uh, towards the end of a second season with Merritt, and I had worked with uh, Eagle on the prior season's uh, finale okay, and an cool. episode in the middle. And uh, he loved my stuff. He loved my previses. So everyone gave me the thumbs up, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. No way. Now, there was a lot more work to be done. You know, um, when you're a performer, you're a performer. At the end of the day, you go home. Once you start coordinating, fight coordinating, or stunt coordinating, there's paperwork, there are emails. You have to know how to talk to people. You know, have to know how to write to people and all this Mo- other stuff. Yeah. Most of the work is offset. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So what I always started to do was I did a beat, uh, breakdown of the entire finale. Excuse me. And then I went ahead and I created storyboards for that beat. And then I created camera angle placements for all the beats. That was a lot of work. And I was super happy I did that because the second day of second unit, there was a little bit of chaos. We were supposed to start at 6.30. We didn't start till 11. And we were shooting at the mine and we had to be out of there. Yeah. You know, it's like several hundred thousand dollars a day. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, we have three different sections. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I got to start cutting things down. So I got together with everyone and we started to make some changes. Like, what can we take out from here? What can we take out from here? And then Joan, the UPM comes up to me and she says, just finish it. I need you to finish it. And I'm like, yes. So at 4:10, we finished, uh, the finale of Lucifer season four. Holy crap. Yeah. That mind fight scene. And it was, it was amazing. It was epic. Yeah. It was great. It ended with the uh, rock bottom <laughs> yes. where uh, the Amenadiel character, it was his double, Aaron Alexander, he slammed Shad Gaspard. Now, I don't know if you guys know, but Shad's like six foot six, six foot seven, and there's a video of Shad, uh, kind of, you could say he's taken out a robber okay. at, by a gasoline station. Like, okay. he, he choke slams him. Okay. So, Shad's a big dude, and, um, you know, we, we, we have a little foam mat on the ground that we would uh, take out and post. And it's like, rolling, you guys set, set, three, two, one, action, boom, big slam, right? Cut, Aaron rolls away, stands up, Shad's on the ground like, oh, Shad, you okay? He's like, yeah, that didn't feel too good. (laughs) (laughs) I bet, dude. (laughs) And with that, I was like, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you for a beautiful two nights. Hell yeah. Yes. Go home, get some rest. What a cool way to end it. It it was amazing. That's really cool. I, I was really set up with the right team. Uh, the right DP and the camera operators, everything was great. Hell yes. Yeah. And so what's the plan now? Is the plan to continue to pursue second unit and everything in the DGA, or do you want to keep fight coordinating? Oh, uh, the plan is to work. <laughs> <laughs> the plan is to work. I have an eight-month-old man. Yes, Jesus. I need to provide. Uh, whatever the work is, I'm down. Like even editing reels, I don't mind, as long as it allows me to be creative. Okay. Uh, once again, I have no ego if someone tells me to come on over and just shoot and edit based on their camera angles. I'm like, cool, I have no problem doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in general, yes, uh, more fight coordination because I feel like fight coordinators really are hands-on when it comes to designing the action, more so than stunt coordinators per se, just because stunt coordinators have other things that they're concerned with, budgets and safety yeah. and this and that. So I just want to make everyone's life easier. Um, and yes, definitely, second unit directing, you know, Making the action director term more common and familiar in Hollywood because it's a very familiar term over in Asia, in India, in China, 
you know, Thailand, all over the place. But yeah, in the yeah. States, it's like second unit director. Yeah. You know, like, let's be action directors. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So I, I, I definitely like to do more of that. Um, there are things that we're planning. But in this industry, until you actually sign the contract or start working, you never know. You can only take uh, it at face value. Yeah, here. yeah, de yeah. definitely. Totally. But uh, I feel that as long as I stay productive and I stay creative, which means um, making something, whether I'm editing someone's reel or editing my reel or just putting together my little montages of Hong Kong movies to retro wave music. Yes. I am staying creative and I am making sure that my brain works. And do you watch anything out there or do you get inspiration from other sources? No, I hate everything out there. <laughs> I really do. Well, and the reason I say that is because... Um, and that's not a wrong answer. This is your answer. Yeah, so well, it's go, like... Going back to my process, um, I feel like there's a science for everything. You know, um, fight choreography, there is a science to designing action. I think one of the smartest action pieces I've seen was from The Good, The Bad, The Weird. The mm. final chase scene. Yeah, okay. Uh, because it starts with uh, bad guys chasing a good guy, then more bad guys chasing the good guy, then you have the military that's trying to destroy everyone. It's just like it keeps building and building and building. Or kind of like My Young Auntie, where you have a group of heroes go in uh, to the villain's house, and we slowly start uh, breaking off the heroes. You know, from like six people to four people to two people to one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. yeah, yeah. You know, I like smart action. So, which is also one of the reasons I kind of take a step back from the choreography because I'm making sure everything works. And when I do that, everything is in my head. Yeah, like, I yeah. never write anything down. I rely a lot on this head that I do a lot of extracurricular activities with. Totally. Um, so, yeah, the, for me, there's a specific kind of a pattern that uh, I focus on. And I feel that that helps me with anything and everything that I do, whether it's editing something or, you know, fight coordinating or having to second unit direct. I need to figure out the science and the pattern behind it all. Okay. And then just start piecing everything in there. Is there uh, anything out there that you've seen recently or it could be old school that you think people should watch in order to get some inspiration or? Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung. Um, with Sammo Hung, anything from Iron Fisted Monk, which is uh, his first uh, directed movie, mm -hmm. um, up until the mid-90s with him, like to Don't Give a Damn. Jackie Chan, don't watch any of the low-way stuff. <laughs> uh, so you can watch Young Master. You can watch Dragon Lord, which is a very underrated movie. Um, and then anything up until, I'd say, Gorgeous. Okay. You know, so I was saying I was studying these movies. Like, I spent... Three, four, five thousand dollars collecting DVDs. Totally. And at first, it was everything Jackie Chan based. And when I went through everything Jackie Chan that I could, meaning at that time movies like Miracles weren't accessible on DVD. Yeah, of course, they were slowly coming out. You would yeah. be ordering things from overseas. Um, so once I had enough of Jackie, meaning I had everything that I could possibly get, I started branching out into Sammo Hung. Yes. And then some Yoon Biao. And then Eric Jacobus in 2003 sent me uh, Old Boy. Ah, uh -huh, of course. I watched Old Boy, and then I ordered the soundtrack from Korea and the DVD from Korea. Wow. And I didn't know quite what it was, Korean cinema, yeah. until maybe like 2006, seven when I met Alan Joe, and I figured out Korean style of fighting, you know, like Korean action. So 
I took the time and I invested in myself to study and learn all these movies. That's why I say nothing excites me anymore. (laughs) Because for me, the best of the best is um, the 80s and the 70s, late 70s and some of the early 90s. I think the only person I really get excited to see is Donnie Yen. Back in the day, like around 2002, on the forums, I just said, I think Donnie Yen's the only one that can save Hong Kong cinema. And sure enough, with Flashpoint, he's pretty much... um, immortalized MMA uh, in the filmmaking world. Mm-hmm. People will still reference that movie. It's still, yeah, yeah. I think, in my opinion, the best mixed martial art movie out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it Man was like a crossover in the sense of mainstream. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes, definitely. American audiences. Yeah, and then it. you started people, you saw people doing this a lot. You know, yeah. da, 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 da. I mean, you even got Mike Tyson in the damn movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Crazy. It Man 3 and now Scott Atkins number four. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, Donnie Yen, even his unpopular movies like Special ID, there's always something you can learn from these people that uh, were trendsetters. Like I said, Donnie, once again, MMA, and then Wing Chun. You know, he he's he makes things look cool. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, like, e- even the stuff I work on, the first thing I do is I take a look at the fight scene. If I look, if I like the fight scene, then I'll watch the show. Uh, yeah, or I'll watch you. the movie. I feel you. You know, unless I'm there in the movie theater watching it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I get excited about the the indie community releasing things. Cool. You know, uh, I'm waiting for Manny to release another short film. Short film. Ah. I find myself watching Monster over and over, and uh, Slayer does a great job releasing content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of people are slowly on the rise. Jay shooting stuff. Kyle shooting stuff. So I look forward to that. I look forward to seeing all these fresh minds at play and at work but you guys need to know and learn your history where's the camera you have to learn your history you have to watch those movies you have to understand where choreography comes from yeah you know it's uh i like to compare it to dance which is something i found out that chad stahelski does chad's the director of the john wick series yeah and uh i think of hong kong cinema as uh, ballet the classic form of dance because we always revert to that and then, you know, like you have uh, you had Tony Jaa come out and do a bunch of power moves. Yeah. So different form of dance. But yeah. everything is essentially a form of ballet. And that would be Hong Kong cinema. So if you want to be good at this uh, craft, start watching movies. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, uh, I don't want to misquote this, but I'm pretty sure this is right. It's a creativity is merely an illusion. And what that references is kind of just speaking to the point that like you can think something's creative, but in real in reality, it's nothing different than something that's been done before. You know, it could just be something normal with just a little twist on it. And so like being creative is really just an illusion that exists because a lot of things that we think is creative now has probably already been done 30 years ago in some form. So in order to know where you're at, you definitely have to see like what came before you. So, of course. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Someone told me that uh, if you look at television, everything's already been done either through the Twilight Zone or through Star Trek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything's coming back full circle now. It's mm-hmm. crazy. And it is an illusion because all we really are are adults playing with toys saying that my opinion is better than yours. Yes. That's it. You know, like, like, like we get paid to play with real life G.I. Joe dolls and dictate how the action is going to be. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I had a phone call with Jeff Amada today, and uh, we ended it by just saying, like, isn't it funny, like, all this stress and stuff? And at the end of the day, we're just creating movies that people watch for fun. Yeah. You know? Hmm. It's just entertainment. 
but yeah man i really appreciate you coming through and sharing your perspective dude it's uh definitely not the last time i hope you come and see us of um, course so anytime you got a project coming up let us know and we'd love to shout it out and uh break it down and talk about it more oh yeah that was the fastest hour i'm like that, that it's already been an hour what? bro super easy right awesome yeah, yeah. brother well, i really appreciate it vlad and uh really quick just for the people out there just to look at that camera and tell them where they can follow your uh, instagram at uh, you can follow me on Facebook at Vlad Rimberg or YouTube on VJVlad.com. No, wait, what? You'll pull your mic in front of your face too. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so on YouTube, um, VJ Vlad on YouTube. And on Facebook, I'm Vlad Rimberg. And on Instagram, I believe I'm Vlad Rimberg, yes. Because yes, Travis actually is the one that created my Instagram account. And then eventually, many, 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 many months later, I took over. This Thank you for that. You're welcome, yeah. brother. And sorry, real quick, uh, just going off of that, um, there is no excuse for anyone here that's watching to not be able to go out and shoot something. I have an eight-month-old, okay? I work. I manage my own social media, which is not bad, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. Um, so go out to the park, grab a phone, replicate a fight, and uh, keep working on it. If you want to take this uh, career path and you're thinking of uh, doing it seriously, then you need to take yourself seriously. You want to surround yourself with people that want to create, that are motivated, uh, so that way you continue to create and you stay motivated. And if you don't work, if you don't put anything out, no one knows that you exist. And your skill set and your talent set will never get better if you don't put it to use. Oh yeah, uh, Vlad Rumberg on Facebook, uh, Vlad Rumberg on Instagram, and VJ Vlad at YouTube. Hell yeah. The most epic outro in Jamcast history, man. Thank you very much for coming through, Vlad. And I'm really glad that uh, you took the time to say that. I feel like sometimes people need to hear these things. And uh, coming from someone like yourself and the experience and uh, where you're at in your career, uh, hopefully it hit home. So uh, Definitely. And I'm going to repeat it at one of the workshops that we'll be doing eventually. And it will be a free workshop at Jam. Yes. Come through, y'all. Hell yeah. So with that being said, guys, thank you for coming through and joining us again. Be sure to please hit that like button, comment, and subscribe for brand new videos. Join us every Monday for brand new Jam breakdowns, looking at the top clips, and every Friday for brand new Jam cast, interviewing influential people in the movement world, just like Mr. Vlad Rimberg himself. So with that being said, guys, thanks to Vlad Rimberg. A very special shout-out, as always, to Mr. Paul Whitecotton for running things behind the cameras. And uh, as always, guys, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Travis Wong. Until next time, we'll see you all soon. Peace.